If you have a copy of the scriptures, I want to look this morning with you at Joshua chapter 3. So if you have a copy, you can certainly turn there. I wish I could tell you it's in the bulletin or on the screen behind me, but it's not. So if you have it, please feel free to look at it. Um, we're going to look at Joshua 3 and 4 together. I'm just going to read all of chapter 3 to you. Uh, we're still just going to continue on in our series. And so if we meet again next week, if we think it's wise to do, then maybe we'll mix something up there. But this morning, we're going to focus on Joshua 3. Um, the one thing I'd say as I read this is that this is the concept we're going to be looking at together this morning, the idea of anticipation, anticipation. So if you want to know what this passage is about, anticipation. And so maybe keep that in mind as I read. Joshua 3, listen to this. This is God's word. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall st stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the rivers of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those following, excuse me, and those flowing down toward the sea of the Arala, the salt sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. 
Let's pray. God, thank you that we can sing to you, we can pray, thank you that we can hear your word, thank you that you are in control over all circumstances, the future, everything. Grant us the ability and the desire to cling to you, especially God, would you grant us the ability to hear the good news that you have for us in Jesus. Holy Spirit, Convince us in new ways that trusting, believing, following Jesus is not a vain activity. That following Jesus, listening to him, seeing him, clinging to him is life itself. We pray this so that you would get glory from our lives, God. Get all the glory that's yours. Take it. Display it. We pray through Jesus. Amen. Do you remember what it was like, maybe this happened to you just recently, do you remember what it was like to be traveling somewhere, especially if you have kids, or remember back when you were a kid and you were traveling somewhere, and maybe you had the thoughts, and maybe those thoughts became verbalized, and you said, are we there yet? Maybe that happened for you recently. Do you remember what that was like, to go somewhere and to just continue to repetitiously say, are we there yet? Or maybe you have uh, played with a young child. Maybe you've tossed them up in the air, and they land on the ground, and they looked at you, and they said, again, again. Or maybe you started tickling a child, and they looked you right in the eye, and they were like, again, daddy, again, daddy. Maybe you've experienced something like that before. There's this sense of anticipation that's going on, whether being tossed up in the air again or arriving at some place, not knowing how long it really takes and wondering, when are we going to get there? There's that sense of anticipation. You know what it's like to live in those moments in which you're anticipating something to such an extent that you can't sleep? You ever been there? That something's either been on your mind or you don't know what's going to go on, and the anticipation of that means that you're really restless and can't rest and sleep? Well, I realize that during this time where we don't really know what's going to go on with the virus or what all that means, I realize that you can be anticipating bad things. I get that. And I don't want you to ignore all of that. What I want to say is, on the front end as we go through this passage together, I would love for you to unplug from that type of anticipation. And I would love for you to think with me for a little bit about anticipating things that are good. Can I do that? Can we do that? Can we try to do that? Again, we're not going to ignore stuff that is real. We'll come back to that at the end. But I want to press this in. Are you anticipating God's blessing in your life? You know, oftentimes we can think God is out to get me. He's upset. You can look at the circumstances of your life and think that he doesn't care about you. Do you ever anticipate God's blessing in your life? Do you ever anticipate what it could be like to walk or experience, walk into God's blessing or experience God's blessing? Now, hear me. I'm not saying it from the standpoint of you get the grace of God and use that as license to get whatever you want. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about anticipating God's blessing. Meanwhile, you do whatever you want to do and satisfy every desire that's self-serving possible. Not meaning that either. 
just as a blanket question, putting it to your heart, do you anticipate God's blessing in your life? And can you anticipate walking into that blessing and experiencing that? Because I want you to know God desires to bless his people. So this morning we're going to think about this, this idea of anticipating God's blessing. And we're going to look at three things from the text. The first one is this, standing on the outside. The second is entering in. And the third is remembering. Got it? So anticipation is a big idea. Anticipating, experiencing God's blessing, that's the main idea. And then standing on the outside, entering in, and remembering. We good? All right, let's dive in. Let's think about standing on the outside. If you haven't been here for a few weeks, or this is your first time in our church, we're spending this whole year looking through the story of the Bible. And even though I'm not going to recover everything at all, here's where this story fits. God's people have just been mourning the death of who? Remember, those of you that were here? Moses has just died, a very significant figure in the life of God's people. Moses has just died, and God's people have mourned the death of Moses for 30 days. I don't think anyone is going to mourn my death for 30 days, except maybe Jenny, maybe my children. I don't know. But imagine having someone so significant like this that as a nation, people would mourn for 30 days. And after that's over, they're still waiting on the outside to enter into the promised land. They're standing on the outside. You know what it's like to stand on the outside? How many of you have ever been to a concert before? Listen to your favorite band, multiple bands? You know what it's like to show up early and have to wait outside until the door opens up? That's what's happening here. God's people on the outside of receiving the land that God has promised, and they're outside waiting for things to be unlocked so they can go in. Like going to a concert and you wait to get into the venue. Maybe some of you that love sports, if you've ever been to, uh, let's say, an ECU game, you know what it's like to go in e to an ECU football game and all the players come through the tunnel and they are amped. They're jumping up and down, they are ready to go, and the coaches are holding them back, right? They're standing on the outside of the field. They haven't yet gotten onto the field. There's a sense of anticipation, and it's not anticipating something bad. It's anticipating something good, something exciting, something that they really want to be a part of. Much like when you go to a concert and you anticipate going in, and you're excited about what's going to happen, even if you have to wait outside for seemingly an inordinate amount of time. It's that kind of anticipation. God's people are on the outside, standing, waiting. And if you look at the text, look at verse 4 of chapter 3. It says that God wanted his people to actually stand back from the ark, which we'll talk about in a minute. Stand back from the ark. It says 2,000 cubits. Anybody, did you remember reading that? Anybody deal in cubits on a daily basis? If you do, let me know. This is what that means. That God's people were supposed to stand back for more than half a mile from the ark. And the text tells you they had to do that so that they could see what was going on. Because if everybody is piled on top of and right around this ark, which we'll talk about in a minute, they can't see what's happening. So God says, stand back more than half a mile and look at the ark and wait and then verse 5 says, not only as they are standing on the outside waiting, not only do they have to be more than a half a mile, 
but verse 5 tells you that they actually have to consecrate themselves because God is going to do something. Consecrate yourselves because God is going to do wonders among you. Now, here's what it means to be consecrated. Because oftentimes we get really confused about what this means. Being consecrated to God is, is, I'll try to explain this in several different ways. Being consecrated to God means you are abandoning yourself. Like you are surrendering all that you are to God. That's what it means to be consecrated. You're surrendering who you are to God. God. You're seeing your life from the vantage point of God and what God says. Consecrating ourselves, consecrating myself, consecrating ourselves means to surrender all that we are, to give ourselves to God. It means that we want God's word. It means that we want to follow God. Here's one of the ways that I try to pray this into my life. I have prayed for years and years that God would help me to follow him without reservation. You know why, right? Because I got all kinds of reservations about following God. I don't really want to do this if it means this may happen. But God, if I do this, I don't know what is going to happen over here. Consecrating ourselves to God means that at least one way I've tried to pray it in my life is God, help me to follow you without reservation. Whatever you say and think, help me to surrender to that, no matter what it is. Well, it means this as well. It means that if you surrender your life to God, you are building your life around repenting and believing. It means every situation, every circumstance, every stage, every phase of life, To surrender to God means I know I'm going to need to repent. I know know I'm going to need to believe in God afresh all the time. Well, God's people are standing on the outside more than a half a mile, consecrating themselves, surrendering for what will happen the next day. Second, entering in. Entering in. If you read these chapters, what you find is they're both saying the exact same thing. They say the story over and over with different details. Even in this chapter, it's like the story is told about two or three times. God's people in this chapter not only stand on the outside, they enter in. And here was the signal that signified and and meant that they could move. It was the movement of the ark. If you read back through these chapters, you'll find out that the ark of God, the ark of the Lord is mentioned like 17 times. What meant that they could move and enter in was the ark moved first. Now, remember what the ark symbolized. The ark symbolized God's presence. It symbolized God's power. It symbolized God's throne among his people. And what that means, because you probably have heard that before, that the ark represented God's power, God, it represented God's presence. But what that actually means in more tangible terms is this. The ark, being more than half a mile away, but being in the center and leading God's people, 
What the ark meant is that this was the place where the grace of God and the law of God met. It was in the ark that inside the ark was the Ten Commandments, the law of God. And on the top part was the mercy seat where blood was put, right? It's the place where the grace of God and the law of God meet. Those aren't two opposing ideas, grace and law. They actually fit together in a beautiful way. And the ark was representing that. It also meant that the ark was the place where the holiness of God and his unconditional love come together. It's the place where you can read about in the Psalms, uh, justice and mercy kiss. It's the place where God's justice kisses his mercy. It's the place in which they could understand who God is as a holy God and yet a loving God. A God who gives commands, but yet a God who's profoundly gracious and kind. The ark means that it was the place in which God's people received their identity and where they knew that they belonged. It was the place where God defined them. It was the place where they could say, yes, this is our God. We belong to him. He is powerful and amazing, and he loves us. Well, If you notice, the priests carried the ark. That was part of their responsibility. And as soon as their feet touched the water, the Jordan dried up. If you look in verse 15 of chapter 3, it tells you a little detail, editorial detail, that's really hard to read out loud. You probably caught it because there's so many descriptive phrases before it and then connecting ones after it. And then in the middle of verse 15, it tells you this little phrase. Oh, yeah, don't forget at the time of year, the Jordan was raging. At the time of harvest, the Jordan was always overflowing its banks. Did you catch that? What's going on here is that when God's people come up to the edge of the Jordan, the Jordan is not six inches wide and two inches deep. The Jordan is, at this time of year, a raging torrent in which all the boundaries that normally hold the Jordan River during most of the year are now exceeded. And the Jordan is covering up jungle-like brush and trees, and we'll find out later, big rocks. In other words, it is absolutely impossible for God's people to do anything to cross the Jordan. This is the time of year in which it is the fullest. This is the time of year in which it is the deepest. This is the time of the year in which it is most dangerous. And when the priests who carry the ark put their feet into the Jordan, the raging torrent of the Jordan, it's then that the water is stopped. It's then that God stops the water and causes the the bed of the Jordan to be dry so that his people can walk through. Anybody seen Frozen 2? Yeah, there we go. It's like Elsa, you know, when that big tidal wave's coming toward the castle and she stops in front. Remember that? Yeah, it's kind of like that. If you haven't seen it, there's an allusion to this. No, I'm just kidding. I just thought some of you might have watched that recently. Sorry, tangent. So here you have the priests enter into in and boom, the dry ground appears. So that God's people can walk across on dry ground. And here's the point. Here's what this means practically for me and you. 
They were spectators. Take that in. They were spectators. They couldn't do anything, as I've already said. They couldn't do anything to cross the Jordan. They had no power. They had no way. There was nothing they could do to cross on their own power. They had to observe what God was doing. And what this means for our lives is this. God is putting tension in our lives. You, know, you want to know what it means to follow him and live with him on a daily basis? Well, it's kind of like this. There's tension. There's tension between watching and observing God and what he only can do and participation. There's a tension between those. There are times in which we are in situations in which we can do absolutely nothing like save ourselves. Can't do it. Can't make the first move. Can't do it. We have to watch what God does. And there are times in which we participate. God's people, what do they do here? They walk through the Jordan, right? They participate. There's a sense in which life with God, life with Jesus, oftentimes feels like um, actively being passive. Learning how to be active, but yet at the same time, passive. Knowing that we have to obey God and follow him, but at the same time, God is God. And there are things that only he can do. And there are things that he promises to do. And we ought to sit back and not be lazy. That's not the point at all. Look, God's people had to consecrate themselves. They had to follow what God says. They were constantly saying, God, my life belongs to you. That's an active passivity. But yet they continue to wait for his instructions and then follow, right? This is what the Christian life is like. This is what it means to follow God is we have this tension in our lives. And at times it's really, really hard to figure out what we should do or what we shouldn't do. To tie it back into this illustration we're thinking about, you realize that, you know, when you go to the sporting event that you really like, you know, when you get to cheer on your team, and your team scores or your team wins, you leave the stadium, and what do you say to your friends? We won. Well, every sporting event that I've been to post-college, I have contributed nothing. And yet somehow, I figure out a way to say, my, we won, and I even do that from my couch. Do you ever think about that? I am participating, right? I'm cheering. I'm contributing. But yet, I'm not really doing anything of substance to win the victory. But yet, we won. That's what I'm talking about the Christian life is like. That we watch God and follow him in simple obedience and trust, consecrating ourselves. And we can use the word we. As we recognize that God has done everything. Well, they entered in. The signal to enter in was the movement of the ark. Here's the other thing about entering in. 
Humanly speaking, Joshua was their leader. Humanly speaking, Joshua was leading them. If you look at verse 7 of chapter 3 and 14, verse 14 of chapter 4, what you will find is this. God had determined to exalt Joshua on this moment. God determined to exalt Joshua in their midst as they were here at the Jordan. If you look at verse 11 of chapter 3, it's as if, you know, um, Joshua is giving instructions about about what needs to be done. And in verse 11, all of a sudden he explodes and he says, Behold, the ark of the Lord is moving. Let's go. He, gives, he sees the ark moving and he tells everyone, Behold, God is on the move. Let's rise up and follow. Again, it's like you're at the game and people rush on the field. This is, this is where you enter the concert hall, you enter the venue, you, you see the players run onto the field, you hear the first song of the concert, you, you see the tip-off, you see the kickoff. This, this is where things are happening. It's that moment. It's that moment in which the promises of God are being experienced by God's people. God is on the move and they're like, there he goes, this, this is it, let's go. And Joshua is saying, look. And the people are saying, oh, yeah, let's go. And they're moving because God has moved. See, this is teaching us something really, really profound, something that God values, something that God actually puts a very high value on. And it's this idea of alignment. God really places a high value on alignment. Alignment between God between his leaders, and between the people. God has an incredibly high value on alignment of all of those. Because it's only when those are aligned that God's people know blessing. When you think back through the history of what is going on in the Bible up to this point in God's story, if the leaders don't trust the people, there's no blessing. If the people don't trust the leaders, there's no blessing. If the leaders aren't following God, they're not knowing God's blessing. All these three need to be aligned. And here are three constant challenges to alignment. Maybe you've seen these in your life. Maybe if you think even more deeply, you might realize how you have fallen into these at times. But here are three constant threats that have been around for thousands of years other threats to alignment, three challenges to alignment. Here they are. Narcissism, pragmatism, and traditionalism. These are all challenges to alignment. You know, narcissism is when someone says, actually, this whole thing is actually about me. You can have that in leaders. You can have that in the people. Narcissism is when people think that actually everyone needs to follow me, what I think, what I want. Pragmatism is how we tend to twist what the Bible says into thinking that, you know, Christianity is just the best way. It's really the best means to my ends. Yes, I'm asking you to think and get under the surface about what you really think Christianity is. Yes, I am trying to push you to think about how do you process your life with God. I'm trying to get you to think about, do I just use biblical principles because I think that will give me the result that I want? That's just pragmatism. 
That's not relationship. That's viewing God as this slot machine. That's viewing God as this, this Coke machine. You just put in the right number of quarters and you just select what you want. Boom, you get the result. That is a threat to alignment. And the other is traditionalism. And we all struggle with this. Traditionalism is the mentality that says, I don't really want to think too much about my relationship with God. Like going to church, belonging to a church, going to worship is just what I do. It's just what you're supposed to do. I don't really want to think too much about how God's word or the gospel affects my life. I just kind of want to show up and go through the motions and put a smile on and be friendly, be a nice person. Those are all three challenges to alignment. God wants us to be aligned with him, leadership and people. And let me make sure that we're all on the same page about what blessing is. Because remember, God wants there to be alignment between him, the leadership, and the congregation, the people. Because if those are lined up, we will know God's blessing. So let me make sure we all know what the Bible means when it talks about blessing. It's not materialism. It's not God's blessing. Blessing is not materialism and increasing in our material possessions. The blessing of God is when his thoughts become our thoughts. That's blessing. To know God's word, to follow it, that's blessing. Blessing is when God is at the center of my life, when my life is anchored on him. Blessing is simple obedience every day. Blessing is not I obey to get this. Blessing leads me to obey simply, simple things, little things. Blessing is also when we are maturing in our walk with God, when we are growing in wisdom. Blessing is when we're seeking first God's kingdom. We're not trying to build our own. It's seeking his kingdom and caring about his church, the thing that will not fail, his church. Nothing can stop the church of Jesus Christ and living as if that were true. And if I could just be super personal with you quickly for a moment, because talking about these things can be a little bit awkward about, about alignment, you know, because you might hear me say, oh, well, Dave say this because he thinks that there are tons of people who are not, no. I'm not saying that. I want to make this personal so you know the standard by which you can think about your leadership. When you read through the Bible, I'll, I'll highlight the Apostle Paul. When you read through the New Testament, you find the Apostle Paul saying things like, follow me as I follow Christ, right? In other words, I'm still in process too. I need the same thing you do. I've got to follow Christ. And if you see that I'm not following Christ, then I have no right to say follow me. 
It's not follow me because I'm gifted. It's not follow me because I've got a great plan. It's not follow me because I've got a great vision. Come on board. No, it's follow me as I follow Christ. I'm going to try to lead you into Christ. That's my job. Even more than that, think about what the Apostle Paul said to one of the churches. Actually, it was multiple churches because it was passed around. But the point was this. If anyone preaches to you another gospel, he's cursed. That means if I'm not giving you the gospel, if I'm not preaching Jesus to you, don't listen and don't follow. He even says if an angel shows up and starts to declare you things that he thinks are true, and the angel is sharing with you things that aren't Jesus, don't follow. Follow Jesus. We need to lead, be led and follow Jesus. He needs to be where we're going he needs to be who we're following. He needs to be our destination. Standing on the outside, entering in, and now remembering. Let's think about this briefly. Remembering. Notice when you read back through this, you got this idea of the stones. Did you catch that as we read through the story? That as the priests passed through the Jordan and, then, and their feet touched the water and the waters dried up, they actually stayed in the middle. Catch that? And everybody passed by them. And then after the last person, after the whole nation had gone over to the other side, then the priests got out of the middle, and then the torrent came back. But before that happened, Joshua said, I need one representative from each tribe to go grab a great big rock from the middle of the dry ground, the riverbed. And they did, and they set it up in this place called Gilgal, you can read about it in chapter 4. And it's so beautiful to read about that because... God is saying, I want you to continue to remember what I've done. And this big pile of stones is important because it's a monument to what I did and who I am and what I've done. And he gives us, he gives us, uh, it's like he, it's like he envisions a scenario. Well, it's not like. He envisions a scenario in which grandparents are taking a stroll through Gilgal National Park. And as the grandparents are walking with their grandchildren, and they come up to this big pile of stones, and the grandkids say, Granddad, Grandma, what, what are these big, what's this big pile of stones right here? So you can tell your grandchildren how amazing and how powerful our God is. Put those stones up, because when your children and your children's children, and on and on, Make this stroll and come across this big pile. You can say, let me tell you about what God did. Because those rocks right there, they came from the middle of the Jordan River. The dry riverbed. God stopped the water from going and we picked out these stones and put them here so we could remember how powerful God is and that he makes good on all of his promises. All of them. Beloved, I would ask you, what are your spiritual monuments? Do you have things in your life that you can point to and you can tell your children and your children's children? Let me tell you about how faithful God is. Maybe it's a letter from a friend that God used to profoundly influence you. Maybe it's a book. I don't know. Maybe it's a scar. A lot of us have scars to God's power because of how badly we were hurt, but it was only in being hurt that we understood God's grace and his love. I don't know. Maybe it's a disease. 
Maybe it's an incredibly hard time. I don't know. What are your memorials? Have them. Have your stones that you can tell people, let me tell you how powerful God is and what he's done. Well, this is where the illustration we've been thinking about concludes, right? So you got the waiting on the outside for the doors to open up to the venue so you can go in and, and hear the band that you want to hear. This is, this is where you're at the field and finally the players rush onto the field and tip off, kick off happens and you're excited about that. This is where all of that is finally culminating and now here you are in the land. You know, when I was, when I was young, of course, I've always loved Tennessee. That's never changed. But I also kind of like North Carolina, as in the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And growing up, it was actually one of my bucket list items to go to the Dean Dome and see a game. And after moving to eastern North Carolina, I've been able to do that a few times. And you know what's fun is the waiting on the outside to go in. I won't rehash all of that. Going in and cheering, going in and having fun. But let me tell you, toward the end of the game, when they put up on the big screen... And they start showing the video and rolling through the highlights of the great teams in North Carolina history and the, and the dunks and the big plays and the beating of the rivals. And, and there's this gigantic buildup of all these teams. And then, and then at the end of the video, it says, Michael Jordan's picture comes up and it says, I am Carolina basketball. And everybody is excited. That is but a shadow of what this is. God's people have been waiting for this for hundreds and hundreds of years. And here they are experiencing God's blessing. They not only anticipated it, they were able to live it. And here's the other thing that they get to remember. Notice in the text, it gives you a date. You know, remembering it's not just the stones help us remember the power of God, but there's a date, the first month and the tenth day. It's in chapter 3 and chapter 4. You know why God gives us that date in this passage? The first month and the tenth day, about 40 years to the day, was the night that God's people got out of Egypt. God has promised and he has delivered again on the same day that he did 40 years ago when they could not free themselves and all they knew was slavery and oppression and he brought them out he led them out he was faithful to bring them into freedom and friends remembering all of this leads us to an even greater anticipation like an anticipation of the ultimate good. And do you know what our ultimate good is? Let me ask it this way. Who is our ultimate good? Who is it? Jesus. Do you realize that there was someone else who who was to come a thousand years after this whose name was also Joshua, meaning the Lord is salvation? Who's the true Joshua? Jesus. If you think back through, jo- through Joshua's life, he was one of the 40 original spies that went into the land, and he was one of two that came back and said we should go, right? 
And the other said, no. He and Caleb were absolutely embarrassed and shunned in front of all of God's people. And they were the ones who were faithful. Maybe that's why God uses this word exalted here. Because God always exalts those who have been humbled. It's exactly what he did to Jesus. Jesus was made low so that he might be exalted and given the name that is above every other name. Who is the true Ark of the Covenant where we see the holiness of God and love of God come together? Who is it in which we understand how justice and mercy can kiss? It's Jesus. Who is it that holds our hand and leads us on dry ground to cross over into the land of promise? Only this time it's not going to be a little piece of land that's about the size of the state of Maryland. It's going to be the whole new heavens and new earth. The whole earth belongs to Jesus. This passage is showing you Christ. So now I want you to take all those things that you anticipate that are negative or hard or that bring you fear, stuff that's really going on in your life, plug it back in. Don't ignore it. Deal with it. Just know that because of Jesus, you can anticipate God's blessing. Because all of the promises of God are yes and amen. They are true in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you give us, um, that you give us what we need, even times when we don't even realize it. Help us to look for you and to see you in everything. And we pray this for our good. Amen.